This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Um, coming, so we're celebrating the coming of Jesus, um, which uh, we like to refer to at this church as the invasion of the kingdom of God into the empire of Satan, the dark domain of this world, uh, the world lost in darkness uh, without, without God, a world of sin and pain and misery and evil. And Advent is about a time where a child comes that will come and annihilate evil once and for all. It's happening right now. It's going to happen decisively one day, hopefully very soon. This child's mother, Mary, says in Luke 151, he will scatter the proud in the imaginations of their hearts and bring down the mighty from their thrones. This little child that Mary, who's not really that meek and mild, she's kind of frightening. She's uh, singing a song to God about her child that is going to bring down the arrogant and the mighty from their thrones. And then a little bit later on, a man named Simeon, when the child is born, tells Mary, this prophet named Simeon who meets Mary in Jerusalem, Simeon tells her, your child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many will oppose him. And a sword, Mary, will pierce your own heart, referring to the way her son would die, die on a cross for the sins of the world. So Christmas is about a war that God starts in this world, against the evil of this world, against the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of darkness. And without that warfare, Christmas is simply a time of nostalgia. It's sentimental. It's about families gathering around a hearth. It's about I'll be home for Christmas and chestnuts roasting on an open fire and all these things that are not what Christmas is about. But with the coming of this child, Christmas is about a war. And Advent is about a time where we're waiting for that child to come back, where we sing songs like, Let all mortal flesh keep silent, and O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. So I want to look at, first of all, the defeat of the empire that we see in this passage so beautifully, so powerfully. And then I want to look at the way that Jesus rejoices. He rejoices, even before it's finally happened, he rejoices in this, what he sees as the empire beginning to crumble and fall and topple over like the walls of Jericho. So first of all, the defeat of the empire. Uh, Jesus has just sent out, if you know the story of Jesus, early on in his ministry in Israel, he sends out 72 well-trained disciples. And uh, I believe some were men and some were women. Um, He sends out these disciples into this territory that is called Samaria. And Samaria was a territory that was very opposed to the people of God. They were very opposed to Israelites. They would sometimes harass and kill Jewish pilgrims going from Galilee down to Jerusalem. 
So the Samaritans are a dangerous people. And these 72 disciples that were sent out in pairs, two by two, they were probably very frightened and skeptical. They were probably thinking, this is not going to work. The Samaritans are going to kill us. They're going to abuse us. And they go and they come back. And it says in verse 17, they returned to Jesus with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They can't believe the success that they have found as they've gone from city to city, casting out demons and seeing evil structures fall right in front of their face. And look at at what Jesus says in verse 18. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He rejoices and he says, I saw Satan. I saw the king of evil falling like lightning. Literally, it says in in the Greek, I was watching Satan falling like lightning. And when he says lightning, he's not talking about something bright and shiny. He's talking about a sudden, shocking victory. Like in Risk, when you, you, know, you invade Kamchatka with like three men and you, and you beat the whole place, you know, had 16 pieces, uh, just in a sudden, shocking victory. That's what he's talking about, this invasion of the empire. The, world, the word blitzkrieg was a German word uh, used in World War II that means lightning warfare and the Germans would just suddenly rush into a Polish city or French city with this fleet of tanks and they would take it over and Jesus is saying I saw a blitzkrieg against the empire I saw the kingdom invading and and something just going fundamentally wrong at the very core of the structures of evil in this world and and the the prophet Isaiah saw the same thing 700 years before Jesus said this. In fact, Jesus is probably building on Isaiah's prophecy. Listen to this, Isaiah 14, 12. Isaiah says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. That's Satan. The the once glorious angel, the day star, the son of the dawn. How you are fallen. You are cut down to the ground. You who led the nations astray. So Isaiah saw Satan falling like lightning 700 years earlier. And then 70 years later, the prophet uh, disciple John, the beloved disciple, he sees Satan falling again. This is Revelation 12, 9. The great dragon, Satan, was thrown down. The ancient serpent that is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world. So it's confusing. When, When did Satan fall? You know, did he fall 700 years earlier with Isaiah? Did he fall 70 years later with John, when exactly, when is this event happening? And I think that all three of them, Isaiah, Jesus, and John, they saw one event where the advent of God, the Son of God, into this world, not not the initial fall of Satan before the world was made, and, and not the final fall of Satan when Jesus comes again, but this thing in the middle, the advent of the Messiah, which is the death blow. You've got to realize that this death blow has been struck to Satan. It's like a fatal wound. You know, apparently like a grizzly bear is shot, fatally shot and wounded. That grizzly bear will still rage around and will thrash around for, for a long time, even though it's pretty much dead. And that's the situation right now with evil. Satan is thrashing around and trying to destroy things, but he is essentially dead because when Jesus came, that was the end. And when Jesus sees that the 72 disciples casting out demons he's like rejoicing i am watching satan fall because i came and i scattered the proud and the imaginations of their hearts listen to this depiction this comes a chapter later we're going to look at this later but this is in luke 11 this is um jesus's imaginative depiction of 
of Satan falling. And you've got to listen carefully. This is not easy. Uh, This is a little tiny parable. And Jesus says, uh, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his fortress, his goods are safe. So imagine a strong man. And uh, this strong man has has a palace or a fortress. And he has these goods and he's guarding them. He's fully armed. He's powerful. And we are those goods. And the strong man is Satan. It's evil. And we cannot get out of his fortress. But then Jesus continues, but when one stronger than him attacks, and that's himself, when one stronger than the strong man attacks and overcomes him, he breaks their enslavement and takes back the goods. So he disarms the strong man, he takes back his goods, and we are liberated by Christ. That's the way Jesus puts it. And so without Christ, we are slaves to the evil one. But with Christ, we are not only liberated from the evil one, but we actually are given the authority to fight him, to join Jesus in bringing down evil structures. Listen to verse 19. Jesus tells them, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Not literal, okay? It's not about snake handling. He's talking about evil things, evil systems that he describes as serpents and scorpions. These are spiritual things. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And what he's saying there is you have more authority than you have any idea. And and we who are Presbyterian Christians, uh, many of us, um, we need to realize how much authority we have. I I mentioned this last week, but uh, we are ambassadors of the most powerful kingdom on earth. We have more authority than anyone. Our power is limitless. Somebody prayed... Uh, this week for me, and, and they, they prayed this. They said, Holy Spirit, you are the most powerful force in the universe. Come and drive out this evil. And it just struck me. The Holy Spirit is the most powerful force in the universe. And we have access to, not only access to him, but we can pray that he would go into people and do things. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he is more than more powerful than anything in the universe. He created the universe. And we have access to him, and we can pray to him to bring down evil. So serpents and scorpions are things like anxiety, the anxiety in your life, the depression in your life, the loneliness in your life. These are the types of things that are serpents and scorpions. And then the power of the enemy are things like the epidemic of greed or the culture of death or the, the pornographied culture, as someone once put it, the culture of hypersexuality that we live in. Those are all the power of the enemy. And the enemy is real. If you have a hard time with Satan, uh, listen to this definition by one of my favorite short story writers. Her name's Flannery O'Connor. And she very much believed in Satan. And she says that Satan is an evil intelligence determined on its own supremacy. There is such a being. I think the best depiction in literature, frankly, is Lord Voldemort. Because what he wants more than anything is to be greater than everyone and to, to denigrate everyone and make them worship him and fawn all over him. And, and he wants to always be putting people in their place. And that's what Satan is. An evil intelligence determined on its own supremacy. And he is strong and he is real, but Jesus is stronger than Satan. Much stronger. And we have his authority. And so you can pray and I can pray in the name of Jesus, I pray against alcohol addiction. I pray against my friend's drug addiction. 
In the name of Jesus, I pray against this eating disorder this person has. And you can lay your hand on them. Even in COVID, you can lay your hand on them and pray in the name of Jesus. I pray against their self-hatred. I pray against suicide. The strong man, the devil wants you terrified. He wants to take you out. He wants you full of inner weakness and anxiety. The stronger man, Jesus wants you confident. He wants to make you, and he can make you a confident person where you're certain of his victory in your life and the life of the whole world. The strong man says, you are an insignificant fraud. You are nothing. You are a waste, and no one takes you seriously. That's his voice in your head. The stronger man says, you are strong and valuable and powerful, and you can say things that change people's lives. So that's the defeat of the empire. It's Jesus watching Satan fall as the disciples are driving out evil, serpents and scorpions. And now the joy of victory. The joy of victory. Jesus reacts with joy. He bursts with joy. Uh, In verse 17, it says, The 72 returned with joy. So there's joy. The word joy occurs four times. And then look how Jesus reacts. Uh, First, he tells them in verse 20, You should rejoice even more than you're rejoicing. I love that. You should be rejoicing even more than you are rejoicing. And then he tells them in verse 23, You have no idea how blessed, or literally it's like how rejoiced your eyes are. You have no idea how great you are. You have no idea that what you're seeing right now, the prophet Micah and Moses and Abraham and David longed to see these things. King David longed to see this day. And then Jesus finally rejoices in his, his own spirit. And listen to how Trinitarian, you know, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of God. Listen to how all three are in this one little beautiful phrase. It just captivates my imagination. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and he said, I thank you, Father. I mean, that's all three persons of the Trinity. The Son rejoices in the Spirit inside of him and he says, thank you, Father. I mean, that's Trinitarian joy and we can feel that. We can feel the Trinitarian joy, the Son raising his arms in exultation, the Spirit flooding him with confidence, the Father receiving the joy. Joy comes from joining in that rejoicing of Christ. (laughs) Joy is like Danny Green, my favorite, my former favorite uh, San Antonio Spur. Um, Danny Green uh, is pretty good. He played at Carolina. He was pretty good. I don't think he got drafted. But he got on the San Antonio Spurs with Tim Duncan, one of the five greatest players of all time. And he won a championship just completely riding on Tim Duncan's coattails. And Danny Green is a really devout Christian. He's so humble. And he would be on that, that float that went around San Antonio, the victory parade, and he would just be going like this. And, you know, he kind of was just riding Tim Duncan's coattails. Well, then he gets traded to the Toronto Raptors. And then he, he rides Kawhi Leonard's coattails to another championship. And he's again, he's on another float like waving and saying, you know, yes, we're great. And then he gets traded the next year and he's on the Lakers. And he, this past fall, he rode around Los Angeles on another victory float with LeBron James and just kind of waving. And we're like Danny Green, you know, we're just on the coattails of Jesus as his victory parade goes forth. 
and we're just waving with him. We're not doing a whole lot. You know, you hit, you hit an occasional three-pointer, make a good defensive stop every now and then. He can't really dribble. He can't really drive at all. But uh, we enjoy the victory of Christ. We're just along for the ride. Verse 21, Jesus says, Thank you, God, for your gracious will. And gracious will means that God planned it all and he did it all. It's all about grace. It's all God's initiative. It's not about you. You don't have to earn this. You don't have to merit this. You don't have to be a good person to have this. Even your awareness of grace is unearned and unsought after. Listen to verse 21. Jesus thanks the Father that the Father hid these things, which are the things of Advent, from the wise and the understanding, and he revealed them to little children. Sadly, as a, as a pastor who's read a lot of books, a lot of theology, read a lot of the Bible, I often start to think of myself, I find myself thinking that I am extremely learned and insightful. I have to confess that that does happen to me at times, more often than I'd like to admit. But the reality is that if what Jesus says is true, and it is true, then I am a little child. I am like a kindergartner back at Brunson Elementary School in Miss Wilson's fourth grade class. I am a toddler when it comes to what I know about God. When Jesus came around, who were the ones that were sitting at his feet listening to him? They were little children. And the, and the, le- the learned scribes and Pharisees with the PhDs and the, the lofty degrees, uh, they were walking away from Jesus smirking about what a fool he was. Stupid little unlearned rabbi. And so if you know Jesus at all, or if you're coming to know Jesus at all, just know that it's not because you're wise, and it's not because you're understanding, it's not because you know more than your friend, it's because the Father has graciously chosen to reveal the Son to you. Jack Miller is one of my favorite preachers, and he used to always ask, what happened to all your joy? He would ask that in sermons a lot. That's from Galatians 4.15. What happened to all your joy? What happened to your silliness when you first became a Christian? What happened to your playfulness? What happened to your levity? When did you stop feeling like a a little child in, in this father's arms? When did you start thinking the pressure was on you? Jesus has won your victory. He's bound the strong man. The pressure is off you. Your greatest problem is solved. Your greatest nightmare is over. And real joy comes from knowing that. It doesn't come from defeating serpents and scorpions and helping people and fighting injustice. Those are all important things I've talked about. But true joy comes at the end of the day. Real joy comes from knowing that your name is written in the book of life. And I end with that. It's the infinite assurance of everlasting intimacy with God because of his gracious will, not because of your merit not because of your good works, not because of your wisdom. Your name is written in heaven, he tells them. And he's kind of cutting them down to size a little bit. Your name is written in heaven, not because you wrote it there, but because God wrote it there. And it's not like those little invisible ink things. You know, you can rub invisible ink over something and it slowly comes, comes into focus. So you're, you're rubbing this stuff over something that looks invisible and the, the words start to appear the more you rub it. And it's not like the more you do good works, your name begins to appear more and more in the book of life. Your name was written in the book of life with a, with a permanent marker, with a huge Sharpie before time began. And it's just there. And you don't have to do anything about that. And you can't lose that. Your name is written in the book of life. And that's what we celebrate at this table. And we come to that now. We come to this point in the worship service 
where we celebrate what we call the Lord's Supper. And if you're new to faith, if you're new to church, if you don't know exactly what's going on here, please feel no pressure at all to come up here. Um, no one's going to be looking at you. I mean, you can't even really see. But uh, no one's going to you know, care, even if they do see, if you don't come up here. In fact, uh, we love people to come to this church who don't know what they believe yet. On the other hand, everyone is welcome. So you don't have to feel any pressure to come up here. We don't want to pressure you to do something you're not comfortable doing. But everyone is welcome because it's not about your good works. It's not about your wisdom. It's about God's gracious will. So on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And so whenever we eat the bread and whenever we drink from the cup, we are proclaiming the death.